0: Welcome to Spotlights, the podcast for the domestic abuse sector. In this series, Safe Lives are shining a spotlight on lesbian, gay, bisexual and trans victims of domestic abuse. In it, Ruth Davis and Colette Eaton-Harris from Safe Lives discuss the invisibility of bisexual women and examine emerging data which shows worryingly high rates of mental health problems and self-harm for bisexual women accessing domestic abuse services.
1: Thank you so much for doing this podcast with me. So we were talking in the office the other day. We were looking at some um, data that we've had come through around the numbers of bisexual women in domestic abuse services. And we were talking that as bisexual women, how invisible you can often be, particularly when you're in a heterosexual relationship. And so we were saying that actually it would be really interesting to talk about some of the particular issues faced by bisexual women that are experiencing domestic abuse. Um, Do you want to start by saying a little bit about what you do
0: for Safe Lives? Sure, so uh, I'm Ruth and I'm the Communications Officer for Safe Lives. So I deal with things like our website, social media, press, uh, just getting the message out to the public about domestic abuse and all its different forms.
1: And you've been working a lot on this Spotlight series?
0: Yeah, so it's my job to make sure as many people as possible read about our spotlight stats and practice guidance and the general public as well get more of an awareness about abuse doesn't always look one way.
1: So we were looking at these figures and although um, it's a very small proportion of LGBT people that are accessing domestic abuse services, um, of those figures it looks like the majority are those that are identifying as bisexual women. Um, what are your thoughts about why bisexual women you know, might be reflected in the statistics more so than other
0: people? I think probably in the context of um, all LGBT groups, I think it's probably the case that women are more likely to access services, I think mm-hmm. we've, we've seen that, and um, I wonder if there's something about bisexual women that means they're more likely to experience abuse than, say, straight women or lesbian women. I'm not sure if the statistics bear that out because we have such a small sample. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think definitely women are more likely to access services than men.
1: Yeah, and there's something about the kind of the, the picture of domestic abuse that's portrayed mm-hmm. that I wonder whether it's easier for bisexual women when they're being abused by a male partner to recognise that, because it's depict, that's what's depicted in media and in how we talk about domestic abuse. And so that m- might mean that they're more able to recognise that
0: services are going to be for them and are going to meet their, their needs. For sure, whereas I think if you're a bisexual woman being abused by a woman, by a same-sex partner, I think, for me, I'm not sure if, it, if I was in that situation where I would go, because I wouldn't go to a sort of generic service mm. that seems to cater for women being abused by men. Mm. And LGBT services are quite few and far between. And there's a there's a thing when you're a bisexual person that you're not quite sure you fit into the LGBT umbrella.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, there can be a feeling that LGBT mm services the B is very small in that and and I think we were chatting about how that plays into sort of uh, abuse sort of tactics if you like Mm. and um, I think you know something that I've definitely heard described by people that I've um, supported is that not being gay enough for their Mm. partner. Um, as a bisexual person and that their identity just being undermined, you know,
0: all the time. I think that's true and I think um, as a bisexual person you sort of change things about yourself depending who you're with, you might, you know, if, if you're hanging out with your, if you're a bisexual woman, you're spending time with your boyfriend, you might behave a different way than if you went out with your lesbian friends, say, you might talk about different things, dress a different way. And I can imagine in an abusive relationship context that would be magnified. Perhaps. Yeah, you, you, it's, um, it's really,
1: it, it really makes you vulnerable to someone exploiting that. And I think, I think the reason why there might be a, a vulnerability is that it, it sort of played out in all the myths to do with being bisexual mm. that's reflected in society. So. I think that idea about you might change your behaviour to fit in with your partner is exacerbated by the fact that there's lots of um, misunderstandings about bisexual identity and that, you know, you might um, you might just, if you're in a, a relationship with a woman, you might very easily go off mm-hmm. with a man, for
0: example. Yeah, I think um, there's a bit of a misconception sort of on both sides, like having dated women there seemed to be an assumption that, oh, well, you just, this is a phase or an experiment yeah. and then you'll go back to being straight. Yeah. So, like, I found sometimes other women were reluctant to date me mm. because they knew I was bi rather mm. than fully, fully gay. Um, and then I think on the other side, there's all the myths about bisexuals, particularly I think about bisexual women, that we're promiscuous and yeah. experimenting and we want, you know, we want it all, we're greedy. Mm. Um I know that when I came out to my ex-boyfriend his immediate reaction was sort of jealous and insecure and well now you're going to just leave me for a woman and it just became a thing that I didn't talk about after that because it was a thing that I was supposed to feel guilty about. Yeah and that like that
1: jealousy and insecurity like we see that throughout coercively controlling relationships that's that's kind of a universal but for me, it, it feels like um, if my partner was feeling insecure about my, my sexual identity, it feels to me that that's reflected a bit in what society also thinks about being bisexual. And I think the danger with that is that you might start to then, uh, you know, believe that. Because we're, we're all growing up in this society with these myths and these influences. That you might start to accept things that are unacceptable so you might say to yourself well you know it is understandable that my my partner's mm. feeling threatened in this scenario so i better play down parts of my identity mm. because you know that's only fair on them
0: yeah and that's you can totally see how that is a sort of gateway for other yeah. abusive behavior if you're already putting part of yourself in a box or feeling like you have to change yourself to make to appease them mm. and then if there's you know if there's more controlling behavior involved you can see how that will all just feed in
1: yeah and i know somebody else recently said to me that she one of the major things she'd found about um coming out as a bisexual woman was that, that not existing the, the, the response that she got for people was that it, it wasn't possible for her to be bisexual mm-hmm. so well, you're you're in a process, and at the end of that, you will come out as lesbian. Mm. It's
0: not it's not possible for you to have this identity of being neither heterosexual nor mm. nor gay. Yeah, it's really erasing. It feels like almost every space that you're in, a part of you doesn't exist. Mm. If you're sort of in the sort of LGBT world, you're in a gay club or wherever, then then you're being your yeah same sex attracted self. But then when you're with your Heterosexual partner, mm. it's like that part of you just doesn't exist. People meet you and assume you to be straight, and it. Yeah. I think all of that sort of chips away and like contributes to this feeling of having to hide part of yourself. And if you also have to hide that part of yourself from your partner or mm. tone it down, yeah, I think it just make you feel very small.
1: Yeah. And I think from a practice point of view, what's really risky. Um, are bisexual women coming into domestic abuse services and uh, the focus being on their heterosexual relationship Mm -hmm. and any um, previous female partners that may have been abusive or controlling may just be completely invisible to Mm -hmm. services if they make that assumption that they're heterosexual or that their previous same-sex relationships don't need um, examining or exploring in any way, like not even asking the question, you know, actually, are are there other um, previous abusive relationships that need talking about?
0: And we've seen in our um, insights data on bisexual women that uh, 16% of bisexual women accessing services have been experiencing historic abuse from previous partners. And we don't have the gender of those partners, but um, if a service hadn't asked them about their orientation when they went in, you know, a good chunk of those could just not have been, not have been mentioned. If you go mm. to a service because your um, heterosexual partner is abusing you and nobody asks you if you're bisexual,
1: they're not going to ask
0: you about previous girlfriends.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think there's also a kind of a risk issue around if somebody leaves a heterosexual relationship and is now with a same-sex partner, that 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 can be something that the abusive partner can use. So particularly I think around, like with children uh, are in the family as well, that, you know, that threat of, well, if you're in a same-sex relationship, the courts are not going to look favourably on you, or, Mm. um, you know, I've even heard people Say that their ex partner made comments about it being a child protection issue. That you know this is this is a child protection concern. That you're now living with a woman and our children at risk. And how um, you know just how very frightening that will be for somebody who is anxious that actually services will look differently on them uh, as a result. And very
0: like sort of shaming. Like it's already. Um... I mean, even in heterosexual situations, we know that perpetrators use children to manipulate mm. and control their ex-partners. But when you've got that added layer of, now nah, I'm in a same-sex relationship and all the society baggage that comes with that and I'm at risk of having my children taken away, you can it's just an, an extra level of um, control and, and stress.
1: And the, the other kind of aspect to the research that we were talking about are these really very shocking statistics, particularly around mental health. So um, we know that LGBT victims of domestic abuse who are accessing support experience far higher levels of complex need compared to other um, clients. Uh, But the numbers around mental health, particularly for uh, bisexual women, were really shocked us so 34% had attempted suicide 39% had <laughs> self-harmed uh, really high figures and i wonder whether there's an uh, i suspect there isn't an awareness of that issue as well that bisexual mm-hmm. women in the service another really important reason to to, to ask people their
0: sexual identities there might be these additional needs that are uh, just not being looked at yeah i think it's um also known that bisexual people generally outside of domestic abuse have quite bad mental health um outcomes i think it and i think that might be about the sense of not fitting in to specialist services or to generic services and not being asked a question and all the other stuff we've talked about about being having your identity erased all the time. Um, and I think probably the lack of specialist provision. Yeah,
1: absolutely. I, I think, the, I think the, the other thing that can happen in terms of like specifics sort or of forms of abuse is uh, instead of somebody's identity being eroded, it gets kind of um, fetish sized. Mm-hmm. So um, around sexual abuse in particular that somebody coming out as bisexual their abusive partner may use that then as a well now you're consenting to threesomes or Mm -hmm. group sex or you know something that they are uncomfortable with and and something that reduces their identity down to sexual behavior rather than Mm -hmm. love and
0: relationships and how they feel about people absolutely and I think that that attitude is something that again, is reinforced throughout society and all the sort of depictions of bisexual women that we see, like there are hardly any to begin with and the ones we do see are promiscuous women who will take part in threesomes willy-nilly and Mm. exist for the um, amusement of men, essentially, um, rather than women who have agency and make their own choices and legitimately are attracted to people of both genders. I think that being reinforced throughout society and culture, it it's sort of justifies if if that's the wrong word, but it mm. it um, normalises that kind of abuse. I think.
1: Yeah, yeah, it, it 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 becomes something else, doesn't it? It it's not doesn't stand out as a as abuse. It it kind of gets dressed up as where well, you can. Un- it's an understandable response mm. for somebody to give or an understandable thought process for somebody to have. Mm. I think the other kind of um, issue for me is around family and about support, and and that's that's really difficult for mm-hmm. anyone who's LGBT, um, in ter- you know, to to come out and the response they might get from family. Um, but I wonder whether for bisexual women, there's a particular pressure that because it's seen. That they might be able to just choose whether to have a same sex or opposite mm-hmm. sex partner, that there's a there's a potential for families to put them on put a lot of pressure on them mm-hmm. to pick an opposite sex partner rather than a same sex partner.
0: Yeah, and I think we were talking before about um, if somebody has come out to their family as bisexual and then has been with the same sex partner. If the family had reacted badly to that, and then now they're with an opposite sex partner, the family might be so relieved that oh, you finally you know seen yeah. sense, and now you're straight again. Um, that even if if that partner then is abusive, it yeah. can be very hard to talk to your family about it because yeah, you know they're, no. they're just so relieved that you're with a man yeah. instead of a woman.
1: Yeah, and I guess the flip side of that is. If, if it's been a struggle to get your family to accept your identity and your girlfriend is then abusive to you, mm-hmm. you 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 can see how it'd be difficult for someone to share that with their family because they may feel a real pressure that I have got to show that I can be in a, a same-sex mm-hmm. relationship and make that work right because I'm worried otherwise
0: it's going to feed into all this negativity that my family had and I think we see that um more widely as well. I think sometimes there can be a resistance in the LGBT community to even talk about domestic abuse because Mm -hmm. people worry that it's going to feed into the myths around same-sex relationships, that they're dysfunctional, they're not healthy, the normal is a man and a woman and that's how it should be. And if we admit that there is any abuse in same-sex relationships, that it will undermine the cause in a way, which obviously is not true. And we know there's loads of abuse in heterosexual relationships too. Um, But I think... There is an unhelpful um, sort of silencing mm-hmm. sometimes, but for the benefit of the community, as people see it. Yeah, because you've, if you've struggled for
1: so long, uh, people have struggled for so long to have their relationships and their identities acknowledged as legitimate mm-hmm. uh, and positive, then it can feel uh, risky mm-hmm. to then say, actually, but also we. We sometimes have problems in our relationships, and there's sometimes you know, mm-hmm. issues for fear that people with an agenda might take mm-hmm. that as a, a big kind of stick to,
0: to, mm-hmm. to, to beat with. So, given everything we've talked about, um, what do, do you think domestic abuse services are missing? What do you think they need to be doing differently to support bisexual clients?
1: So, I think first of all, monitoring needs to be a lot better so people need to be asking mm. all their service users about their sexual orientation their gender identity. But I think in order for that to happen really effectively is that frontline workers need to know why they're asking that question and what happens with that information. Um, it's not uncommon to hear in the training room that people are quite anxious about asking mm. because uh, they often feel it's a very private and personal issue and yes, it is personal information, but I think sometimes there is an uh, an, ins- an insinuation that it's not just personal, but it's shameful in some mm. way. And, and I n- never have an issue with someone asking me my sexual orientation. In fact, I, I quite like it because it makes me feel that people haven't made an assumption about me. And it means that I have uh, an opportunity to to kind of claim my identity, but um, I think it's also I'd like to know where, where that information is going and what it's being asked for. So I'd want someone to be asking, but in a really confident way. So I, I think that's the first thing that um, making sure staff are e- e- equipped to ask that question confidently and and are asking it and not making assumptions. Um, I think not assuming that because somebody comes to your service and they're in a heterosexual relationship, or we're in a heterosexual relationship, that you then don't need to ask that question because you you kind of know what their their identity is. Uh, um, that's that's really important. And I think if you are supporting someone that's bisexual, being curious around any potential problems at that. Could pose to them in terms of their family response and the support network that they have, um, problems that they might be facing in uh, accessing services. I think um, asking questions around previous relationships and whether there is a, a, a risk from uh, previous partners as well as your current partner. Just everything that we know that IDVA's are great at that that curiosity around. You know where the risk might be, and and, and not making assumptions, but really being prepared to talk to someone about. So you know, where where are the risks for you? And you know, tell me more about what's going to help you. What's going to be supportive? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think in terms of safety planning, it is just really helpful if if uh, if ifers have a have an idea around what some of the barriers might be for somebody accessing all the safety options we would usually sort of recommend. So, you know, how, if this is a bisexual woman who's being abused by a female partner, how confident is she to report that to the police, for example? Does, does she feel able to do that? If, you know, if refuge was was going to be an option presented to her, Does she feel confident about going into refuge? Or is she concerned about biphobia, for example? So not not assuming that things will be difficult for people, but being prepared to have a conversation with them, really, and ask.
0: What do you think um, can be done about the way services sort of advertise themselves or make themselves available to bi people? Because we said that, you know, you might not feel gay enough for an LGBT service, for example.
1: Yeah. Yeah. and it's I, I think there's a balance because we we know that domestic abuse is a gendered um crime, and so you know we and that's that's just borne out particularly by our homicide statistics um but I think it's really important that um services don't assume that bisexual women are going to feel that a service is for them just because they say you know you're not excluded it's not enough to just not exclude people you have to be really proactive in your inclusion so th- that means your imagery needs to depict same-sex relationships um, you know the, the language they're not assuming that it's a male partner that you know when somebody is talking about a previous relationship not using the word ex-boyfriend or ex-husband because you've applied this heterosexual lens and it's not it's not easy because I think even as somebody as you know that's bisexual and you might have had this experience as well but because we grow up in such a heterocentric world that I even I think I catch myself doing that sometimes because you're so it's so ingrained in you to see the the world um, as heterosexual that it is, it is easy for people to slip into that. So it's just being really aware, I think. Yeah. So it's been really good to record this podcast with you because, um, you know, something we said is that there can be a tendency for LGBT to be lumped together in a really unhelpful way mm-hmm. and um, that, that people's identities can get a bit lost in that. So it's been really good to be able to have a focus Um, on bisexual um, women and obviously this is part of our week of kind of focus on lesbian and bisexual women and we've got lots more coming up in the spotlight series is there anything in particular you're looking forward to hearing more
0: about or reading more about over the spotlight series Um, I think I'm quite looking forward to reading and hearing more about relationships for um, gay and bisexual men because it's something that's so far removed from my own experience and that doesn't get talked about enough, I think, in the context of domestic abuse. I think that'll be really interesting.
1: Brilliant, thank you, Rue. Thanks so much for joining
0: me on this podcast. Thank
1: Thank you.